Welcome to Frankly Judaic, a podcast that explores cutting-edge Judaic studies research conducted at the University of Michigan. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. When most people think of Sigmund Freud, the founder of psychoanalysis, Yiddish is probably not the first word that comes to mind. But it turns out there is a lot of scholarship about Freud's connection to Yiddish language and culture. So how exactly do Freud and Yiddish intersect? So that's a really interesting question because we don't entirely know. This is Naomi Seidman, the Chancellor Jackman Professor in the Arts at the University of Toronto and a fellow at the Frankel Institute for Advanced Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. Freud certainly knew a little Yiddish because there's Yiddish sprinkled in his published work. He has a book about jokes, the psychoanalysis of jokes. And a few of his jokes have characters like a shadchan or a schnorrer, a matchmaker or a beggar. He has other um, references to Yiddish in private letters. So Yiddish, on some level, either more or less, is something that Freud had some access to. Freud didn't broadcast his knowledge of Yiddish, Seidman says. For one thing, during Freud's time, the language wasn't highly regarded. It's not that uncommon for German Jews of Eastern European origin, which was the case for Freud and so many other people in his circle, to try to distance themselves from a language that wasn't even considered a language. It was just considered this kind of very embarrassing backward jargon that only uneducated people spoke. So Freud wouldn't have paraded this as somebody who was hoping to enter into a more sophisticated intellectual circle. Freud might also have played down his roots because he wanted to make psychoanalysis feel relevant to a broader audience. There were those who saw it as a Jewish science, and the more Freud talked about things in universal terms, the more likely he would be to be accepted as someone who had things to say about all people, not just you know, a few dozen crazy Viennese Jews. Over the years, many Jewish studies scholars have mined the archives for evidence that Freud knew more Yiddish than he let on. Seidman became interested in why some of her peers were so intent on unmasking Freud. I'm not the first person to notice this, but what I was hoping to do is to, instead of just participating in the parlor game of demonstrating just how Jewish Freud is, which is, what's the point of that? We already know it. It's already been done to death. Is to try to look at this game from a psychoanalytic perspective, to try to understand its, let's say, its sexual components or its aggressive components. Even if you know only a little bit about Freud, you probably know that sex and aggression play key roles in his theories. In fact, he believed most of our behavior was consciously or unconsciously geared toward satisfying our sexual and aggressive drives. Seidman sees these tendencies at work in the way scholars have studied Freud. You can use Freudian tools to analyze this whole Jewish studies game of showing of aggressively, um, Derrida calls it aggressively imposing Jewishness on somebody who didn't really want it, which he compares to circumcision, which is, you know, the way an eight-day-old boy is brought into the Jewish people. There's something oddly violent, Seidman says, about stripping someone of the cover they want to keep 
In the newborn's case, the foreskin. In the same way that it's aggressive and violent to do it to a, an infant, it's the aggressive move of Jewishness, you could say, of the transmission of Jewishness from one generation to another. And Derrida talks about how this same violence is done to a dead man, Freud, who can no longer defend himself. So I don't want to fall into that trap. Something that fascinates Seidman is that Freud himself sometimes goes along with the idea of the hidden Jew lurking beneath the surface. In his book on the psychology of jokes, for example, he relates a joke well known at the time. It's about a baroness who's in confinement, in other words, about to have a baby, and the doctor and her husband are outside the bedroom in some kind of parlor playing cards. And they hear through the door the Baroness crying out in French, Oh, mon Dieu, que je souffre. Um, and the husband says to the doctor, Do something. And the doctor says, No, 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 let's play another round. There's time. And then they hear a few minutes later the Baroness crying out in German, Ach, was für Schmerzen. And the husband again says, doctor, do something. And he says, no, 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 it's fine. Let's, do, let's just keep playing cards. And then she cries out in Yiddish, Oi, Weizmir! And the doctor throws down his cards and says, it's time. To get the joke, Seidman says, you have to understand the idea of Yiddish as a language buried deep under layers of proper European tongues a language that slips out when a person is in crisis. Seidman thinks this idea is more fantasy than fact, and that's part of what intrigues her. Why does it survive as an ideology after the time that it's actually historically true of these people? So I'm interested in how this functions even as a, a myth or a, fic a fiction, and also how this myth and fiction structures the way Jewish studies scholars look at Freud. Seidman is also interested in how Freud's work was received by Yiddish-speaking people of his time. Many of Freud's disciples in Vienna and Berlin were native Yiddish speakers originally from Eastern Europe. Some even conducted psychoanalysis in Yiddish. But Freud also became hugely popular among the masses in the 1930s, when his work started to be widely translated into Yiddish. So there was a kind of popular rage for psychoanalysis among these populations who would never see, uh, could never afford psychoanalysis, didn't understand what the Oedipal complex was, but they wanted to read about Freud. They wanted to know more about him. So you could buy, you know, a cheap book about what does Freud say about sex? These days, Jews might not be devouring Freud's works in Yiddish, but Freud's connection to Yiddish and to Jewish identity more generally continues to captivate scholars. In particular, the idea of a hidden Jewish self still holds sway. But Seidman predicts that ideas about Jewish identity will evolve along with contemporary realities. I think that we're living in an era in which Jews no longer have a private, intimate language for the most part, in which they speak to each other. And I think that's what allows the structure I'm describing to show itself to be a kind of fantasy as much as an ideology, um, that we do have some core Jewish self may not be the case. In other words, it may be more, it used to be the thing that people were afraid would show, 
right? You're, you're afraid your Jewishness is showing, like your slip when you're wearing a, a dress. But what if there is no Jewishness to show? At its core, Seidman thinks her work taps into how we think about Jewish identity. And because ideas about Jewish identity are changing dramatically, this is an exciting time to be in the field. One of the things I'm doing is is marking the moment at which this game seems to be reaching its last gasp and in which this story about who Jews are is giving way to something else, which we don't know yet because it's still in formation. You've been listening to Frankly Judaic, a production of the Gene and Samuel Frankel Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. The executive producer is Jeffrey Weidlinger. Jen Richler is the lead producer. You can find and subscribe to Frankly Judaic anywhere you get podcasts. And if you like the show, please leave us a five-star review. Thanks for listening.